There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on May the 20th, 2010. Newcomers, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Scroll down, bookmark all the other sites I have up there because I'm in the midst of moving around to the different servers right now. And if you bookmark the other sites, at least you'll get the latest shows from one of them until I have all the other servers up and running. While you're there, look into the items I have for sale. There's books, DVDs, CDs, and that will help keep me trickling over here because that's all I do is trickle over. Remember, from the U.S. to Canada, you can pay by personal check, uh, international postal money order from your post office. You can use MoneyGram, Western Union, some people say in cash. And you can also use the donate button to donate or same button for ordering uh, any of the books and materials I have for sale. Across the rest of the world, it's the same thing. Uh, MoneyGram, Western Union, cash or PayPal. Just send a separate email along with the PayPal donation, and I'll get your order out to you. Give me your name and address, and so on. And for those who get the disc burned and pass to them, and lots of folk do, it's amazing uh, how people are passing discs and of talks around different meetings all over the place, all over the Europe and different parts of the world. You can get in touch with me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estaire, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. The postal code is P as in Peter, the number 3, E for Elizabeth, the number 4, N for Nora, and the number 1, P-3-E-4-N-1. And it's astonishing, really, as we live through this, these transitions. Remember, this is, the, this is the age of transition. This is the... the the new century, this is the century of change. They've used different terms for the same, the same program and agenda because there only is one program and agenda, and that's a very old one, the planned society, post-democratic, to be ruled and governed. That's what they call it, governance. Uh, all the, even national politicians are using governance now. You see, they're all on board with it because, you see, the rats smell the wind and politicians uh, come from that particular type of family. So they're very politically correct and they jump on board and whatever the big masters say, they do without question. It's interesting about the psychopath because they know that even in a military type, if they have a dictator at the top and the lesser psychopaths beneath in a descending order, each one admires the one above them because they admire power and they kind of despise the person just one right below them. And it's the same with politicians. But these politicians really are trained years in advance for their role. I have been certain for many, many years that presidents, prime ministers, and the coteries that come in behind them, that really do the governing, um, I've been convinced for years that they're all pre-selected and trained, and even told probably 
when their turn will be to, to get in at the top. Because you see, power can't allow democracy. Power, total power, eugenical power, planned society power, the big banking power cannot ever afford democracy. And so they never allowed it to happen in the first place. We never had it. It's a nice term. And uh, they keep prattling on about ancient Greece and how democratic it was. But in reality, you had to be one of the big boys and the landed owners. And even had the Nazi philosophy, you had to be third, fourth, fifth generation Athenian to get the vote. All the rest, well, you're either a slave or just a commoner, weren't you? Back with more after this break. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix. I've been going on a bit about the big Royal Institute of International Affairs System, Dash Council on Foreign Relations, the Milner Group, the big banking boys and so on, how they really all came out of the same, the same beginnings. Uh, because people at the beginning of the 1900s and before just at the late 1800s realized, I'm talking about the banking families of course, they realized that democracy would be not too good a thing for them because it was it could be unpredictable. And they don't like that kind of thing. They want things to be very predictable. And so the way that they saw going around this was to, to not only start in Britain, but make this a worldwide global effort through free trade. They used free trade idea that really came up with Francis Bacon. Uh, free trade was uh, an idea that Bacon came up and presented uh, to the royalty at the time, and he was the one who also coined the term the, the British Empire, a conglomerate of nations that eventually would all be based on the same uh, parliamentary or governing system with all these rules to do with trade, because even then they knew that all the laws of the land center around economics. When you kill someone and they send you off to prison for killing them, uh, believe you me, it's taken into account the value as a taxpayer and the level of the person you killed. And that will help decide your sentence. That's all taken into account. Everything, all the laws revolve around economic. In fact, e- economics runs everything in your life. Everything. And when the cash stops flowing, of course, the factories can sit there, businesses can sit there, but nothing moves because this odd thing that's supposed to be current, and that's why I call it currency. You see, it flows, supposedly. The beauty of this currency is it can be diluted, you see, over and over again, and they call that inflation and hyperinflation. And the big boys who rule the banks and so on, established their central banking systems, which they all own. They're all interconnected. Many of the leaders of the central banks are all intermarried with each other, and they're also intermarried all the way up to the IMF and the World Bank itself. So you literally have families running the world's banking systems, and they've never made such a killing as they have this last while, as they looted the public, they put speculations on who would fail and got profits off of that too. I mean, it's an amazing, again, non-linear way of thinking. 
but so easy to do when you've trained the world and established the same educational system to be taught around the world to make sure all the sheep have pure linear thinking. And it doesn't stop when we complain. Uh, it never has stopped. Why should it stop? It puts out its politicians that you re-elect, and they stand up for it, and they keep the same system going. Uh, looking at the, the, the Gulf and its big oil plug that they have in the, is pouring out of the bottom of the Gulf there, and they've floated all these ideas of sinking millions of golf balls and everything else into it, and putting a dome over it, and yada, yada, yada. Uh, and it's no different. At the same time, you wonder if someone's playing a joke with you. Well, the, the countries in Europe are, are constantly borrowing money. They, they say they're borrowing money. Now, are they borrowing real money, or just numbers, or figures, or, or money they've still got to get from some other world bank? Or where are they getting it from? And they're throwing these billions and billions of euros into the big black hole, called the free market, for speculators, once again, the same guys that caused the last problem, run by the bankers, to profit from. There's a Der Spiegel article up there from one of the top guys in the central bank talking about this and who's making a killing off of it. And they can't lose these guys now, these speculators, because all these countries have signed agreements to back up each other so none of them can fail. It's an incredible con. So, as I say, we've got one in the Gulf to get plugged with billions of golf balls and one in Europe that's going to be plugged with trillions and trillions of euro, dollars, yen, and everything else, I suppose, as time goes on. But it'll all be an IOUs left for the taxpayers at the bottom. But that is the way it's always been. And not one single politician is ever going to stand up and say, we've got to change this corrupt and private banking system and these central banks with names like Federal Reserve or Bank of Canada which aren't Canadian or federal at all. Now, the politicians get the rewards after they've served their masters. They say the CFR, Fabian Society, Royal Institute for International Affairs, all connected together. And we saw what happened to Tony Blair, the man who said that he would completely alter the face and cultural system of Britain so much that they could never go back to it. Total deculturalization for total immersion into an integrated Europe. That was part, that's part of the idea, that's part of their manifesto. And I read the articles from the newspaper where his second in command admitted that was his job, was to make that happen. That was accomplished. The next part, of course, is to bring a, a single-party system in. And that's what you have now, a single-party system, a so-called coalition of liberals and a coalition of the labor. And it's a single-party system. They're promising them the earth, communitarianism, and how all local areas will run themselves, self-govern in a sense. That's straight out of communitarianism, as I say. Because once you've merged totally with the EU, you're no longer a nation as such. That is to break you down even further into communities and regions. Written about long ago, long, long ago. If you want to know about regions, go into the UN websites and read for yourself what they say about regions. They've got the whole globe carved up into varying regions and sub-regions and so on. 
Now, as I say, the politicians do their thing to, to wreck the countries and then they get rewarded. Blair got rewarded. He's now worth millions and millions and millions of pounds. He just can't help but get it in, you know. They get paid in millions in advance for their, for their terrible biographies that they never write themselves either. That's, these are called payoffs. And they just buy houses all over the place, about 5 million each or 11 million here and there. That's how they pay off these guys once they get out. And in the UK column, uh, from May's issue in the front page, and I'll try to get the link for that too, they talk about the coming election. The election was been, has been held already, and this, they've got this coalition government. So the article in the front page was spot on. It's going to end up with a one-party system, which is the plan. But they also go through the front page how the BBC, again, the government-controlled, uh, definitely Fabian uh, uh, television station, surpassed itself in producing bland, orchestrated theatre of so-called debate between the three leaders. Brown, Cameron, and Clegg. Heavily staged, managed, manipulated with over 50 rules of engagement, the voters are treated as children, expected to believe that these men are the only voices we need to hear in the election campaign. And it was very, very theatrical, apartly, and uh, he's, he's right, they really talk down to you, though they're children, you know, your children. So I'm not surprised that... Uh, that they got what they wanted. They got their coalition in, the one-party system, all on board, all agreeing with each other, because, you see, all all parties obey the same one master. Now, as I say, Blair was well rewarded. We saw the chaos and the havoc he caused and the massive debt he left. He also, there's a great interview from a newspaper I read a while back on Blair when he was asked if there was anything that he'd regretted and in his uh, whole time in Parliament. And he, he said very quickly, no, no. See, he's a psychopath. Psychopaths have no regrets. They pick psychopathic personalities for these positions. They don't have to be the brightest either. Just have the psychopathic traits. You can stand up, stare at cameras, and lie efficiently all the time. That's all you have to do. The guys that are appointed behind you are the guys who run the show. Most governments are run by appointees now, not by elected officials. In all countries. Now, Mr. Brown is out supposedly, right? No, you see, it was meant that Mr. Brown leave. It was meant that Mr. Brown leave, the ex-Prime Minister of Britain, after Blair. It's time for him to leave because he accomplished his mission. And what does it say here? This is this is the mirror.co.uk. Brown's heading to the U.S. for international monetary fund role. See, that's his party's reward. You see, for for wrecking uh, the U.K., uh, destroying what was left, leaving him in, in a big pit, a money hole that can never get filled with all the borrowing. Again, he, he encouraged that the, the incredible uh, change in culture falling on from his pal Blair. So this is part of his reward. And they'd be planning to go to the U.S. with their boys for years, of course. I'm sure their master says, what do you like, Gordon, once you leave? Well, I wouldn't mind getting something kind of big, you know, maybe IMF, World Bank, something like that. Maybe move to the U.S. because by the time I leave it, Britain's going to be in one hell of a state. Who would want to live there? 
So it says the, the couple indicate to friends they see their long-term future there with the ex-Prime Minister tipped to head the International Monetary Fund in Washington when the job comes up in 2012. So God help you, Washington and states, when the, the prime record gets sent in there. Former Chancellor Mr. Brown was widely praised for his role in fighting the global financial crisis. Oh, really, really fighting it, eh? <laughs> And before the election, as the Brown discussed their options with friends, Sarah said she expected him to take one more big job. A source said the unspoken assumption was it would absolutely not be a Tony and Cherie-style retirement into riches, lucrative speaking dates, and globetrotting. Gordon would relish the IMF job, not for the status, but for the chance to tackle world poverty, since he's created a hell of a lot of it. Back after these messages. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix just talking about Mr. Brown, the ex-primary Britain. He just stepped down there to let this one-party system in to finish off the job. Who's going to go over to the States and take up the International Monetary Fund, which again is a private organization run by the World Bank, which is a private organization run by about 12 or 13 banking families. And, of course, Mr. Brown got his job in the first place because, you see, he was into economics and he was the, the guy in charge of Britain's economy, supposedly for a while, the, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, a term that goes all the back, way back to the next Templar's days in Temple, Temple's Bar and Temple Square in London. And he's off to get his part of his reward with the International Monetary Fund. Now, the International Monetary Fund, are, as I say, are run by the top bankers and uh, are owned by the top bankers. If he was such a, an awful um, catastrophe uh, financial-wise for countries, why would they give him a top job? Well, he did what they wanted him to do, you see. That's why he's getting a reward. If, it was, if the world was run the way that you've been trained to think it's run, he was the last guy. You wouldn't even read his resume, at least all of it. You'd, you would toss it in the bin before you got halfway through it. You'd think he's a, a top wrecker. Well, that's his job. You've got to wreck everything to bring in the new society. He's the same Prime Minister at the last G20 meeting said, we're bringing in the new world order. It's up there on Google. It was put out by the BBC and everybody else. You know, which world order are they talking about? You know? What is this world order? Most folk will just um, hear these phrases and it goes over their head and they don't ask any questions. How long has it been going on? Well, I've gone through Norman Dodd's inquiry into the big tax-free multi-trillionaire foundations that ran the U.S. back in the 1950s. I put links up where Dodd's himself, who was told to lead the inquiry, on behalf of the Senate and Congress, was told that we're going to blend a Sovietized system with the West, the capitalist system. Now, we already know that the same banking families uh, funded all sides in World War II. They funded the Soviets, as, as Anthony Sutton, Professor Anthony Sutton, uh, put out so well in his different books. They funded the rise of Hitler. 
to bring in this world society, and folk cannot quite separate the difference, these differences, these slight differences. They can't separate them first to see what they are, to find out they're all the same things working together towards a common goal. And most of the U.S. citizens don't know, even know their own history of what was happening in their own country in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And a lot don't even know today. They haven't a clue. When you go back into the IMF, you got to go back into Bretton Woods Agreement, John Maynard Keynes, and you got to look at some of the top players back then, a few years, few years back. Here's one of them, and this is, I'm going to put the links up for you. It's from Wicked. You can read it for yourself. I'm not lying about this. Harry Dexter White, October the 9th, 1892 till August 16, 1948 was an American economist and senior U.S. Treasury Department official. For the harder thinking, I'll, I'll repeat that last part. He was a senior U.S. Treasury Department official. Primarily, he was a primary participant in the Bretton Woods Conference. He was a communist, by the way, and I'll get on to that later. And the formation of the... He helped to form the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank and get all the countries to sign on to it on behalf of the world bankers. A number of sources from the FBI and Soviet archives and messages decoded by the Venona Project suggest that he may have passed government documents to the Soviet Union prior to World War II. Well, it didn't stop with World War II. Born in Boston, Massachusetts, seventh youngest child of Jewish-Lithuanian immigrants, Joseph Wheat and Sarah Migaleski, so he changed the name to White, settled blah, blah, blah. Went to Columbia University when he was about 30, then in Stanford, and just shot right up. PhD in economics at Harvard University at 38 years of age. And then you go into what his politics were. He believed in Keynes, again, John Maynard Keynes, who's a total world socialist, the planned society, the planned regime, eugenics, the whole lot, superior types, inferior types, and all of that. Yeah, communism actually has all all of that in it too, you see. Call it communism, socialism, doesn't matter. It's all the same thing. He was a dedicated Rooseveltian internationalist. His energies were directed at continuing the Grand Alliance and maintaining peace through a liberal trade regime. See, that's the trade, the free trade thing, and so on. And then they go through all the stuff that he did. So he's working at the Treasury Department, and he's passing stuff all through before and all through World War II onto the Soviets. He even sent them printing press plates so that they could print up billions of dollars of U.S. money in the occupied zones at the end of World War II. You see? All his pals were in it together. Henry Morgenthau, Jr., who was the Secretary of the Treasury at the time, and they have to put up the Exchange Stabilization Fund as well, which is quite the, quite the thing. It went right through up to the, the Bush era. They were using the Stabilization Fund to make sure that the U.S. big corporations wouldn't drop in their stocks. You used to watch it dropping, and suddenly an injection of money would go in there, and up they'd go again. I think that's the music coming in. I'll carry on with this when I come back from this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Wharton. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. Just going through some of the previous occupants in the U.S. Uh, of the same position that Mr. Brown's just stepping into, because um, Dexter White, Harry Dexter White, as I say, was a, a well-known communist, and people can't figure They still think of communists as being sort of working-class people. That's a great image that they put into our brains, you see. And, of course, it had nothing to do with the working class. It was an elitist organization. It was, it was a big experiment in socialism where the intelligentsia, who were properly trained, properly trained is the, the way to say it, in the, the way things should be run, would run the country, and everyone else simply obeyed. Of course, they would live much higher in a standard uh, than the average person that, the, that were supposedly serving. I love service, isn't it? They always are upside down, backside foremost, aren't they, these guys, with the way that they talk. And this guy was the best pal of FDR. FDR knew because uh, the different agencies and police agencies were putting reports in on this particular guy, Harry Dexter White, and uh, he kept covering up for him. Why would he cover up for him? Hmm? Have you ever looked into the, the, the genealogy and the histories of FDR? You should. You should look into it and get the books by, written by his wife because she puts family trees in there and he's related to the Sachs family. That's the, the big boys that are still running it today. Yeah. Same people. Yeah. And it says here, Wet was senior advisor official in, at the 1944 Bretton Woods Conference, which he and Keynes dominated. After the war, White was closely involved with setting up what were called the Bretton Woods Institutions, the International Monetary Fund, and the World Bank. These institutions were intended to prevent some of the economic problems that occurred after World War I. Yes, sure, they've happened time and time again, as we just found out recently, and help ensure that capitalism became the dominant post-war economic system. What it meant was the World Bank monetary system for the big bankers became the dominant economic system. That's what they mean when they, when they say capitalism. As late as November 1945, White continued to argue for improved relations with the Soviet Union. White later became a director and U.S. representative of the IMF. The same job that Mr. Brown is going to be rewarded with in Washington. Not bad, eh? How it repeats itself, and folk never catch on to it. And then you can go into the, the accusations of espionage and go through all the different links that you're given here. There's lots of books that have verified all of this stuff. And uh, uh, the guy got off with it, of course, and no one touched him because he's too high to touch, understand? Even Edgar Hoover was told to, to stand, which he did, you know. But they all knew what he was up to. They all knew his contacts. They all knew his, the agents. Yeah. All of them. And you see, there is no opposition to any of this because there never was any opposition. The only opposition are the ones who are trained at the bottom to catch these characters, but they're not allowed to. And we find that happened in Britain too with Dick White. He tried to catch some of the characters he was after and everything got blocked higher up than him. And strangely enough, 
Lord Victor Rothschild was eventually put in charge of all the security services of Britain. And Lord Victor Rothschild it comes once he dies. A book comes out and tells us, The Fifth Man by Perry, it tells us that uh, he was the main one sending all the stuff from the British military and other advances and so on to the Soviet Union. This is verified stuff. He was sending it all to two places, to Moscow and Israel. Every invention that came out of Britain to do with radar and so on, and communications and listening in, so all getting given away to those two people. Yep. And nothing's going to change, folks. I don't care who, what puppet gets voted in. If the, if the whole corrupt money system isn't addressed, nothing can possibly change it. They don't want to change it because that's the main power those who control the world have. Why would they change it? No, they'll keep just shooting billions and billions and billions of euro into that big black hole so that their own speculators can make rip-offs off government and then lend them more to put into it. They live off interest, remember. Quite something. Quite something. And while all this is going on, of course, I mentioned communitarianism last night. That is the next step for the whole of Europe. As you're now denationalized, you're in a sense de-sovereignized, and the whole idea is to bring you down to the localized level, where supposedly over a period of time institutions will be set up to get, where people will self-govern. Eh? You know, the cliques are already trained to be there, like common purpose. They've already trained the leaders who are going to be your, your Sovietized leaders for your area who will tell you what to do and what your service to the community will be and how you all have to get into the fields just like the, just like the Stalinist era and the Lenin era and, and grow your own stuff and stuff and all that kind of nonsense. Mind you, you're still saddled with national debt, though. That's, there'll still be a federal input to do with the national debt. You're stuck with that forever. And that's how it's supposed to go. That's how it's planned to go. That was a very old plan, and that's what Carol Quigley was talking about, the new feudal system in his book Tragedy and Hope, being the historian for the Council on Foreign Relations and an elitist himself who, who uh, was all for their agenda. Now, as we're post-industrial, post-democratic, and, and post-everything else, you know, we're, we're, they have this new economy based on carbon, uh, done by equations, basically, mathematical equations, energy in equals carbon out. This is, a, this is their phony uh, equation that they're using. And we've all to get taxed into the ground for that, too. And we'll be paying for the air we breathe eventually. We're certainly going to pay for the air we breathe out. As they teach us to be austere, meaning to live in utter abject poverty. And it will take some years in the States before all private property goes, but that is definitely on the cards. The only thing they have in the U.S. are so many local and state laws that have to be maneuvered around with more difficulty than any other country. That's what's held it back in the U.S. Plus, people in the U.S. tend, even though they don't know exactly why, what it's all about, they tend to form 
um, opposition groups to, to certain bills very quickly and stand up together to stop certain things. But he's an article here from San Francisco Examiner. It says, Cap and trade is a license to cheat and steal. This is one of James Bond's first movies captured attention with the title License to Kill. Today, Washington, D.C. is setting the stage to compete with Hollywood in the sensational headlines market. Um, it says the license is worthy of being titled License to Cheat and Steal. The cap and trade bill, which actually called the American Clean Energy and Security Act of 2009. Yeah, you, who would think it, too? I think they were, They know what they're doing, don't they? Most people read that. American Clean Energy and Security Act of 2000. That's quite nice, you know. We, we like clean. Clean's a, a positive word, you see. American's good, and energy, and security's good. See, it's all very nice. But it's to do with taxing the public for this invisible stuff that everything gives off, that, that breathes, even insects. It says, or the Waxman-Markey bill would mandate severe reductions in U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. Since emissions are mostly generated by energy use, heating your home, cooling your groceries, driving to work, etc., these targets would effectively mandate energy rationing. Rationing, folks. You see, you'll soon be in your little communities if you don't stop this. Your little communities with your, your appointed new Sovietized leaders. Since these targets are not based on economic or technological realities, it's based on no reality actually, they can only be one outcome, much higher energy prices. Severe limitations on emissions could easily turn well-intentioned, no they're not well-intentioned policy, it's a political agenda, and an opportunity for shady money-making schemes at the expense of the environment and American households. It says, research indicates that implementation of a U.S. emissions market could drive up energy costs for Americans anywhere from $324 to a whopping 3100 per year. This could be ten grand, ten grand, I'd say, minimum. And because low-income families spend a greater percentage of their earnings on energy, this burden would fall heaviest on those least able to afford it. Well, that's good, you see, because, you see, they want to bring down the population. If you can't heat yourself in winter, it's a shame. It's a shame. In contrast, the financial benefits would be enjoyed by Wall Street opportunists and special interest groups. Well, they already do. The government-regulated trade of carbon dioxide opens the door to the creation of risky financial tools like the derivatives, hedges, and credit default swaps that led to a recent economic crisis and the scandals associated with it. Understand what I'm trying to say here is you cannot, you cannot fix a crooked system. You can't fix the Tower of Babel that's held together with glue and sticky tape. It's still going to be decrepit. Its foundations are rotten. And until this whole monetary system that runs politics, runs all the governments, is utterly separated and even put out to outer space, a new monetary system where folk can get debt-free money to start with is put in place. This will continue, and, and they cannot lose. They cannot lose until that's done. A debt-based system, that's what we live in. 
That's what the great Harry Dexter White and uh, John Maynard Keynes and all these other world socialist globalists wanted. A debt-based system. That means the big bankers have total control over all governments. Can't fix it. You cannot fix it. It has to be completely dismantled and something put in its stead. And even then, the sharks will be right in there to con you again if you're not watching. Very easy to do. There... (laughs) He's in that article here, it's about something similar. It's in Yahoo. It says, U.S. top scientists urge coal and oil use penalties. See, you're going to start getting penalties now for using your heating. And this is Wednesday, May the 19th. Ditching its past cautious tone, the nation's top scientists urged the government Wednesday to take drastic action to raise the cost of using coal and oil to slow global warming. This is complete farce. I'll also put up the article by Dinglepole, James Dinglepole, up um, about the farce of global warming. But any farce will do as long as the mantra keeps going in the brainwash the youth to believe it. And it says here, The Academy which advises the government on scientific matters, well, who gave them the authority to advise the government? Did the public ever get asked this? Did the public get told what this particular body's politics are, their agendas are, their members are? No. These are, these are social policies or politics. These groups, these are advisory groups. Unelected. Who are very, very rich working for the biggest foundations and world bankers. Who want to make sure their agenda goes through. They said the nation needs to cut the pollution that causes global warming by about 57% to 83% by 2050. That's close to President Barack Obama's goal. We don't need to get started right away. It's not opinion. It's what you, science tells you. So we're supposed to just obey the BS nonsense that comes out of the scientists' mouths. Hmm? And that was said by Robert Fry. Do what science tells you who chaired one of the three panels producing separate climate reports. Well, we know who he works for. Fry was acting Environmental Protection Agency chief under President Richard Nixon and until recently on the board of American Electric Power Company, a major producer of carbon dioxide. The country needs both a prompt and a sustained commitment to reducing greenhouse gas emissions, he said Wednesday. So... What they don't call taxes, they call penalties and fees, you understand? You're all getting the smart meters installed right now as I speak. I've had it happen or in Canada where I live. And the real intention of this, apart from monitoring all your uses, to eventually cut you off as they bring in the rationing down the road, depending, of course, on your, your social status and how, how valuable you are in standing to your particular little communitarian area. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. There's another article too I want to touch on tonight, briefly. It was about how the whole computer system is all... (laughs) People are finding things out. uh, At the right time, we're allowed to find certain things out about how they track and trace you and all the rest of it. And it doesn't stop most folk from joining up all these free sites and using them. Most folk now are quite comfortable having no privacy. They've been trained. They don't think through life. They go through by osmosis. Everything comes into their mind through osmosis, as Jack C. Lowell said. 
And uh, the computer industry, of course, was set up for total tracking, tracing, and monitoring, and all that kind of thing, from the very beginning, by the same guys who run the banks and your central banking systems and your governments and politics. And this article says, Virtual fingerprinting exposes computer users. May the 19th, 2010. A U.S. privacy group has discovered the existence of a virtual fingerprint that can be matched up with most computers to monitor the online habits of individuals. According to the Electronic Frontier uh, Foundation, most web browsers carry a unique signatures, signature which can help websites gather information about online activities. Although the data does not directly identify you as a person or the person, it can be used to build a very detailed, detailed internet profile. Several companies are already selling products that claim to use browser fingerprinting to help websites uh, identify users and their online activities. This experiment is an important reality check showing just how powerful these tracking mechanisms are, said the EFF technologist Peter Eckersley. Data privacy has emerged as one of the key public concerns this year, with market-leading companies such as Google and Facebook coming under fire for making too much information about their subscribers publicly accessible. Google dismayed many of its Gmail users in February by making their email contacts public and other subscribers when it launched its new Buzz social platform. Facebook has also recently angered users and privacy advocates with changes to its privacy policy that allow third-party websites to incorporate members' profile data. And as I said, Google right now is uh, out with their, their phone and some program uh, to this uh, sort of thing of putting it out there to match the competitors because the next thing is you'll be photographing people and getting instant readings on facial recognition and digital photographs to state exactly who they are, where they live and all about them. You see, you're getting trained to have no privacy and most folk are helping them do it. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, just tying some things together to show you that your perception of the world with different sides, different parties in East, West and Red and Blue and all the other stuff, and uh, I'm talking about communism, capitalism, uh, are all one thing because they're all set up by the same bankers in the first place. And so you've got to read Anthony Sutton's books uh, such as Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution and who financed Hitler, and so on. You'll find the same big players, big boys. They still run the world's banks today. At least their families do, their offspring do, and their their nephews, because they let you marry, of course, within each other, and put them across into central banks to make sure the central banks are in obedience to their big world bank. They've got it all sewn up. And they also have a parallel government that funds thousands of NGO groups, non-governmental organization groups. These are not little tin can round-the-door characters. These are groups which have their own office towers and pension plans and fully staffed and all the rest of it because the foundations are worth trillions and trillions of dollars. They're owned by the big boys like Rockefeller Foundation and many, many, many others. There's, there's thousands of them. And they're all connected to working on the same globalist uh, communitarian agenda where you're going back to the peasantry. And they call themselves philanthropists. You see, wonderful name, philanthropists. They like to help the poor needy. 
Here's the last article. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation working on sweat-triggered vaccines from Wise Up Journal. And that's from the 10th of May, 2010. Foundation funds 78 new innovative global health projects, projects including cell phone blood tests, carnivorous plants, and sweat-triggered vaccines. It's all part of the military-industrial complex. Yeah, sweat-triggered vaccines, nanotechnology. And Billy Gates there, you know, uh, the guy who was chosen to be the head of one of the biggest corporations to make sure there was no competition, um, carries on just like Brown carries on and Blair carries on. They're all given their awards. They all end up being sort of kind of philanthropists doing wonderful things for humanity. And um, so they've gone about the first thing about malaria. These are the same boys, remember, Gates and them, that went to the Millionaires Club and discussed the need to really bring uh, the, the population rate down drastically quickly. And he actually said that vaccines was a good way to do it. And these guys have no problem with his agenda because I've heard one of them, actually, I've spoken to one of these, these people, and this was a woman, and she said to me, well, if we don't do it, who will? Meaning they're actually doing it, you see. They're actually sterilizing people in reality. And they wouldn't get their cooperation if they asked for volunteers. So they can't ask for volunteers. They must just keep their mouths shut and pretend they're helping people. But yeah, they've got a, a, a sweat-triggered vaccine, nanotechnology that's going to go into your system. And they talk about ways to put it across, even spraying it from the skies, just like the, con- the chemtrails that we all get already. Wonderful, isn't it? Strange how they can release all these new nanoparticles into the atmosphere and into nature with impunity, isn't it? Since there's always some some government or group going to stop them through the world, through the, the, the United Nations. Why aren't they coming out and saying, wait a minute here, this is a bit dangerous. New nanoparticles, nanotechnology into the atmosphere. What's it going to do on humans, animals, and all other kinds of life? Doesn't seem to enter into it. I'll put all these links up on my Cutting Through the Matrix dot com website. If I can get the satellite speed up, I can tell right now they're going to give me a hard time tonight, so it might not be up tonight. It keeps breaking. The link keeps breaking, so I'm getting hassles from lots of places because I'm saying something right. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you.